Want to know some dirt? No, not gossip. I'm talking about the brown stuff beneath your feet. What more can be said about dirt, really? It's brown, worms love it, add a little water and it turns into mud. Sometimes you can even find cool stuff in it, like fossils or arrowheads or even buried treasure. That's about it, right? Case closed. Well, maybe not. Today, we're talking to two people who have made the science of soil their passions, their lives. And to them, soil is the thing that sustains our entire Earth. I'm Amanda DeJong, and you're listening to Now at Ohio State. We talk with researchers, innovators, and bold thinkers who look at our world, see what the real challenges are, and create solutions that people need now. Enter Dr. Ratan Lal. He's made it his life's mission to understand soil's importance to our planet. He's researched for five decades on five different continents, and he's among the top 2% of soil scientists in the world. I didn't even know that was a thing. His innovative research into sustainable farming practices addresses the challenges of food insecurity and global climate change. And as he discusses with our Todd Jones, soil could be a key to saving our entire planet. Can you sum up for us what your career has entailed? What have you studied and what it's been about all these years that you've been practicing your research? I have been very fortunate and privileged uh, to have opportunity to study planet Earth's most precious resource, and that is soil. And I started studying soil since early 1960s. So this has been 60 plus years. The life and soil has a very intricate relationship. Life depends on soil, and soil depends on life. Soil has a right to be protected, to thrive, to flourish, not to be misused. Simply because you own a property does not mean that you can do with it what you wish, because it's a living thing. It's a living entity. Why should any of us really give thought to soil? Well, for one thing, it's um, the resource on which our life depends. Uh, All of our food currently comes from soil. All our fresh water supply, uh, filtering, denaturing pollutants come from soil. Our uh, moderation of the climate is based on soil. Uh, All the biodiversity of the earth uh, is based on soil. I think soil is the essence of our terrestrial life. But more importantly, it's finite. It is prone to degradation. The reason humanity should care about it because uh, civilizations that forgot that soil should be cared for, they vanished. Mm. Whether it's Mesopotamia, whether it's Indus Valley, that's Incas, whether it's Mayan, they all took soil for granted. You have said that soil is like a bank account. What do you mean by that? Whatever you take out from soil, you must put it back at the same place in one form or the other. So what I mean by bank account is, just like in a bank account, you cannot withdraw more than what you put into it. Soil is the same way. You cannot keep on taking out of it and not putting something back. Let's talk about what we do with the soil. What is sustainable farming? Being able to use soil to grow food and other essential things that human needs. 
in a way that the soil's capacity to generate those essential ecosystem services is maintained forever. So these days, from a philosophical point of view, ethical point of view, we also state that leave soil for the future generation better than you received from the previous generation. Leave something in the bank account. And a bank account, exactly. What is carbon sequestration? Taking carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, which is causing global warming, and replacing it in the soil in a form which will stay there. Carbon dioxide in the atmosphere in a gas form. It cannot stay in the soil as in a gaseous form. So sequestration is a long-term storage of atmospheric carbon dioxide in a soil in a form that it can stay there for a longer period of time. Why is it important for all of us? It's important for Earth's soil's life support system. So it sounds to me like farmers and been using the plow for all these years. It's productive. It's good for the short term. It makes them money. You're trying to get them to see the long-term value. Exactly. Plowing has caused the trouble with soil degradation and its adverse impact on food and climate security and plowing is the cause of erosion by water and wind. So if you don't plow, keep the ground covered, have the crop resident grow a cover crop in the off-season, then all those problems of erosion, decomposition, emission of greenhouse gases, pollution of water, they all go away. All right, let's talk about some of the things that Ohio State is doing, and we mentioned your center. But in August of 2022, Ohio State, and you specifically, were named a leader of a new $15 million project. This is a five-year federal grant that calls for studying carbon farming as a solution for climate change. You are partnering with Michigan State, Kansas State, Utah State, some federal agencies, uh, international collaborators. What, what is unique about this project that you are leading right now? That's a very important project. And in fact, it's 18 million if you add some additional support that has come in over a five-year period involving partners from many universities and institutions in the U.S. and overseas. It is unique uh, for the reason that most of the data on the rate of carbon sequestration that we were talking a few minutes ago is obtained in small plots, uh, modeling things. Like computer Um, modeling. Yeah, computer modeling or um, uh, evaluating carbon samples from simple experiments on 10 feet by 10 feet plot size. Uh, The data from real farm, where farmers manage their land the way they do, uh, what happened to the carbon stock in soil over time, that measurement have not been done very widely. So the focus of this project is on-farm assessment of carbon stock, pool and fluxes under real-world situation for major farming system and climate and soil type, not only of the United States, but entire Americas. Yeah, so you're going to be working on farms in Ohio, Michigan, Georgia, North Carolina, Kansas, Utah. And and South America. And South America. So So you're getting data from actual farms. And what do you hope to do with that data that you haven't been able to do as well in the past? You used a word a few minutes ago, carbon farming. What does carbon farming mean? Because that is what we are trying to get this data for. 
carbon farming fiends are growing carbon in soil or trees which farmer can get income from mm. just as they get income from growing corn or soybean or milk or poultry or meat so it's a, like a monetary incentive for them to practice this it type of farming it is growing a commodity that they can get income from okay that is why it's called carbon farm so the question is how much income can they get and who will pay them in ohio since 1960 we have experiments to prove that no till agriculture is the best thing but not many people do that why not why why don't this people practice this this is it because there is no incentive for them to do it see no till sometime can produce lesser crop than the conventional plowing does but no till has many other ecological benefits mm-hmm. so why should a farmer do something if they are going to lose income So I have been suggesting that if you want farmer to do sustainable practices which are environment friendly so that agriculture rather than a problem becomes a solution mm. you must pay them you must reward them do not expect them to do something for free and this is what farming carbon or carbon farming mean paying farmer to grow carbon in soil so they can make agriculture a solution to the environmental issue. Okay, so we're switching to carbon <clears throat> farming. That's the goal. We want to get these farmers doing more of the, of the practices of sustainable farming. That will somehow impact real change for food insecurity and climate change. <clears throat> yes, but I think one thing we need to remember once again uh, is that the 500 million plus farmers in the world out of that 500 million probably 450 million are small holders 50 million are the large scale farm like we have in the united states none of those farms are going to do what we are talking about unless they are compensated and this point is now as important than ever before because uh, we have farm bill coming up and the farm bill of 2023 2024 i hope will have a soil health act now what is soil health act we have a clean air act we have a clean water act we do not have a soil health act i submit that you can never have clean air and clean water unless you have healthy soil in that healthy soil act there should be a provision to reward farmer for doing sustainable agriculture we need to convince our policy makers that this is a time to have healthy soil act so that we can reward farmer for making agriculture a solution and that reward has to be monetary farmers have to see that it makes financial sense Absolutely. to do what you are saying is necessary they will never want to be go broke trying to solve the world's problem they have to feel that they are respected and they are rewarded properly and they are paid appropriately and transparently the farmers who have made the switch to carbon farming why have they stuck with it they see the benefits they see the stewardship uh, reward that they are uh, looking after the precious finite resources properly uh, they had the financial resources to invest which paid them off those who are farmer resource poor and they do not have the ability to bear the cost for the first 3 5 years uh, they cannot afford to 
And I think this is where the conservation agriculture has mostly been adopted thus far by large-scale commercial farmers mm. who have the resources to invest. So it's more difficult for a small farm. Absolutely. Owner. Very difficult. And majority of the farmers of the world out of 500 million, 470 small farmers. Do we have the political will to do what is necessary? So far it has not happened because of the lack of political will. But things are changing. Does some of this get back to getting the message out in a way that people understand it? And do you see your own role in what you do as part of that? Yes, I see my role really um, to serve as somebody who can provide uh, the basic information needed why this political will should be there. So I see my role as somebody who can talk to the policymakers, talk to the private sector, and see how private sector, policymaker, academician, and land manager can work together to translate science into action at a global scale. Dr. Law, change is not easy. No. You're trying to very change yeah. the way the world farms. I am very optimistic, yes. The optimism is essential. I see the change happening. It will happen. It will, I think, happen in a foreseeable future. So what happens if we take these ideas and bring them down to earth, like apply them to a working farm? Todd Jones had the incredible opportunity to go out to Dave Brandt's fields and talk with him this spring, before Dave unexpectedly passed away. Dave had been using no-till farming techniques on his family farm in Ohio since 1971. Some parts of his land haven't seen a fungicide, insecticide, herbicide, or purchased fertilizer in years. His family has been farming this way for so long, they don't even qualify for today's cost-share programs that pay farmers to plant cover crops. Brandt was a soil health advocate and acolyte. His willingness to share his farming methods and discoveries are legendary in the agriculture community. He grew the same crops as most grain farmers, but his fields look very different. Together, they discussed the ups and downs of this method, Dave's successes, his failures, and why his family will forever practice what Dave called regenerative farming. When you started regenerative farming in 1971, what did fellow farmers, friends, neighbors, what did they think when you started going with this type of practice? Well, I think they thought we were kind of kind of stupid in a way because we wasn't doing traditional things, we wasn't plowing, we wasn't disking, because we just didn't have the time. I mean, at that time we had 200 Charlotte cows and 200 sows and my wife and I and two young kids. And we had to make every, every move make a little bit of money or make every move count, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, for us it was not doing those kind of things and learning how to leave the soil alone trying to plant a seed into that soil that would grow. Did you have fears yourself about making this switch to this? Oh country? yeah. There's been numerous nights of not sleeping very well. Uh, there's been numerous failures. I must tell you that. I mean, that's how we learn. We've probably only had about seven or eight good successes and about a thousand failures. What made you stick with it? I mean, what, well, what made you a believer in regenerative farming? We kept seeing rewards on return on investments were better, I thought. I mean, we were able to keep paying our bills. And we were able to get some decent looking equipment finally, and 
we've acquired some more land and got it pretty well paid for. It's been a challenge, but it's been fun. The resilience side for us is uh, to regen the soil, but it also is to regen our living. It, it has cut down on our expenses with herbicides and nutrients that we bought to the tune of 75 to 80% less now today than we ever have used. And now we're learning more about using uh, other things like compost teas or additives like that that we can build from our own soils here on the farm to treat our seeds with. Where do you think we are in regenerative farming in terms of how much it has spread among popularity with other farmers? Well, it's come a long way. Uh, we still probably only got about 2%, maybe not even 2% of the national producers doing it, but the movement is coming along. There's a lot more interest in cover crops and retain the soil where it needs to be. And I think if we can do that, we can also lower the, the problems that we have with phosphorus and nitrogen runoff in the streams. So Dave, you see all the benefits of regenerative farming. You live it. You've been doing this for 50 years, you and your family. Why is it not more popular among other farmers? Well, I think in today's society, producers are looking for an easy way to make a return on their investment. And the easy ways to do that is to carry all the crop insurance, get all the government payments you can get, and survive. But I think as we look at farmers that tend to be financially embarrassed or trying to learn a little different, they're more receptive to uh, the regenerative movement, willing to think about how to do things, you know. I was thinking the cost of fuel and the cost of equipment may change you, but it hasn't affected that very much yet. But you know, we're operating on about 25% fuel consumption than our conventional farmers are, just because we're not doing the tillage. And that seems to be a key that some of them are looking at now. We use all some of our equipment, it's pretty nice, but it's not real big. It's kind of in the medium size category of things. I see that maybe where we can help young farmers start. So it sounds like farmers might not think it makes financial sense to do regenerative farming. Correct, right. And there's no, right now there is no market to do it regeneratively. There's organic markets out there and you get paid for the labor you do in organics. Uh, if we do it regeneratively, you still have to sell it as a commercial grain, not as a grain that has more value. And I'm hoping in three or four years we'll see there'll be a value-added part of this that'll come on and that'll help the producer then. So what will it take for more farmers to buy into this? Well, I think we need to just look at it. We need to make sure that the farmers understand that it takes management skills now and not uh, butt skills. <laughs> you know, I call butt skills setting in the tractor going back and forth. It takes more management that you need to get out, look at the soils, you need to feel the soils, you need to see how the roots grow. Uh, you need to touch the soil. You need to respect the soil for what it is. Treat it differently. Treat it differently, correct. Dave invited us to see for ourselves examples of how he practices regenerative farming. So he fired up his four-wheeler and drove us across his fields. Dave showed his various blends of cover crops, scooped up a handful of soil for close examination, and explained how nature provides nutrients for his land. And then he pointed off in the distance to a neighbor's farm. The pencil over there, no-till here. Have you guys talked about that, you and him? Oh yeah. Yeah. Why won't he change? He's thinking. He 
just thinking. But you know, it's a it's a change. It's a change of your mindset because you have to do more management if you're going to utilize regenerative farming. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by management? You spend more time in the field looking at things and figuring out what's going on. Because if you till all this up and make it brown, and you put all the chemicals and the fungicides and insecticides and, and everything else you can put on it, uh, it kills everything. So the soil dies. Our soils are living here. These are living soils. What do you mean by your soil is alive? Our soil has enough microbial activity to equal five cows and five calves body weight. So we're looking at somewhere between uh, 50 and 60,000 pounds of microbial activity in the soil per acre. And our neighbor's farm has a 200 pound starving calf in it because all he has is bacteria. We have bacteria, we have nematodes, we have protozoa. We have spiders, we have earthworms, you know. And his soils are not that active. Because he uses all the things to control those things because of the fungicides and insecticides he uses, you know. You don't need the chemicals then. Don't need the chemicals. It's you just know. nature doing just it. Nature doing it, right. And my philosophy is if we can build healthier foods, feed it to healthier livestock, and we eat healthier meats, we become a more healthy society. Dave is an advocate for regenerative farming, as well as a practitioner. He partners with researchers, including some from Ohio State, on yield plots, where they study agricultural techniques that mimic nature. His family's business, Walnut Creek Seeds, not only sells cover crop seeds, but it provides information about their use and multiple benefits. In 2017, Dave helped create the nonprofit Soil Health Academy, which teaches farmers no-till practices. Each year, his farm hosts a field day, where visitors can ask questions and see results that confirm what he's saying. Dave spreads the word by talking to farmers as a farmer. If they're large, successful farmers, they haven't done nothing wrong, but it's hard to get them to change. You know, it's hard to get them to understand that there's there's things they could do. And I'm not talking about being organic. I'm just talking about reducing the amount of things they buy. Just think if we could save a guy 20% of his chemical investment or his fertilizer investment. So here's some research we're doing on our own. These are, uh, there's 15 different triticale varieties here. These are five by 10 plots, replicated four times here. And you can see there's a big difference in the different varieties. So what we're trying to do is pick out the most vigorous triticales we can talk to farmers about for their livestock or how fast it'll come back in the spring so you can plant something green into it, you know. Is it important for you to go to them with your own research and not just talking about why this is good. Right, right. This way we learn. We can dig these and look at the roots. We can take leaf samples and see how much sugar's in the plants and those kind of things. I mean, look at that one hybrid over there. Four or five times taller than these others, see? But if you went to the farmers and just talked about why this is good, they would what? Well, they just think you're another salesman. I talk to them as a farmer using the stuff. We're all tied together. Right. With the soil. With the soil. 
Right. Because the same microbes, you could take a spoonful of this soil and take some things out of your gut and put them in the microscope and you'll find the same bacteria, you'll see, find the same nematodes, you'll see, find the same protozoa that's in the soil, in your body. So isn't that wonderful? It really is a living thing. It's a living thing, right, right. So we gotta treat it like a living thing. We don't wanna treat it and abuse it. Dave Brandt passed away just a few weeks after that interview. He was 76 years old. In the days that followed, social media and the internet mourned the man who was the face of a well-known meme. Maybe you've seen it, the one with a farmer squinting into the sun and captioned, it ain't much, but it's honest work. The comments were worth reading in this case, as people around the world celebrated Dave's work in conservation and regenerative farming. Todd Jones stopped back out to Carroll, Ohio this summer to check in with Dave's son, Jay Brandt. You know him as dad. When he passed, there was just this outpouring of support from afar, it seemed like. Can you describe what the reaction was to people when the word got out that he had, that his, that he had died? Uh, a certain uh, mourning, right, for the loss. Everybody certainly appreciated uh, his ability to communicate and relate to them in their situation from that standpoint. Uh, and again, because of dad's experience, uh, he really wanted to meet people where they were in their practice and took a lot of effort to engage people personally in conversations. Uh, that was something that he really enjoyed as part of his activities was that personal interaction and the ability to help people have a little bit of uh, growth in knowledge or a little bit of a, like an aha moment of where I can take that part of information and apply it to what I'm doing so I can build my practice or build my skills. And so it was very interesting to learn, you know, that to that degree that people had a feeling of camaraderie just from a few minutes of conversation, you know, uh, not necessarily a long-term development of a relationship, but just some of those passing conversations and things, how much that meant to people in establishment of their practice or acknowledgement of the work that they were doing. So it was very humbling to hear uh, how much that meant to people. Like you said, he, you're gonna continue to work here at the farm. The family's gonna continue the practices of regenerative farming and help spread the word. Why do you think it's important that it's not just a, a family operation going forward, that it continues what they wanted to do, which was not just work here, but help try to help others do the same type of work? Sure, and we've kind of adopted that practice ourselves from that standpoint. Uh, my wife, Anne, uh, my son, Christopher, and myself, we have been involved with uh, Dad in a lot of his presentations and talks. Uh, it does mean quite a bit to us to continue from that standpoint. We always want to challenge ourselves to improve our own practices and to be able to communicate effectively those things that can help others. So that has become part of what we are and what our mission is as part of the family farm here to continue David's work and uh, support the community. What do you think your father's legacy will be? The idea that uh, it is possible to improve your operation, to improve your return on investment with the adoption of these practices, right? That we can use regenerative agriculture to uh, improve our own personal lives, to improve our community, to improve our farms, and still provide uh, very well for us 
in our, our own operations. Well, Jay, we appreciate your time and we are very appreciative that the university had such a great working relationship with, with uh, your father over the years. And uh, we really hope that this episode will, you know, shed some more light on not just his life and what he did, but also the word that he's put out to other farmers and how they can help make the, the world better through regenerative farming. Well, thank you very much. There's an old saying I still hear from time to time. Dirt don't hurt. Poor grammar aside, that statement can be pretty profound if you stop to think about it. Who would have thought that this stuff beneath our feet is a living, breathing thing that needs tending? So is regenerative farming and no-till farming a key to a healthier world and a healthier human society? There are many out there who believe it absolutely is. And if that's the case, dirt does far more than just not hurt us. It heals us just so long as we care for it. Now at Ohio State is produced by the Ohio State University Office of Marketing and Communications. For more information, visit us at go.osu.edu slash now. I'm your host, Amanda DeJong. Thanks for listening.